Welcome to I Hate It Here, the podcast for HR and people professionals, making the hardest job in the world just a little bit easier. I'm Hibba Youssef. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of I Hate It Here. Joining me today and my co-host for two episodes in this special series about your relationship with work is Dave. Hi, I'm Dave. I'm the CEO of a venture-backed startup based in New York called Newsstand. We help companies produce better employee experiences. Super excited to be with Hebba today. Last week, we went wide on all the challenges you could be facing in building strong relationships with your employees. This week, we're getting practical. All the ways that employers have agency to create and own their employee experience and what to do about it. What to Coming do? out of last week, I think you can listen to that podcast and think, oh my God, there's no way out. <laughs> all of these things are happening. Yeah, There's so much at play. And what we wanted to do this week was really talk about the agency that we have in cultivating an experience that establishes trust and deepens the relationship that employees have with their employer. And so we'll give you practical examples of ways that you can do that in your organization. We have like three key areas we kind of want to look at that could really improve your experience at work. The first one is employee well-being. How do you think about employee well-being, Dave? I think about well-being across two domains. One is your individual comfort, health, and happiness while you're working. And then second is your forward outlook. And those two things combined, I think, are what really creates well-being when it when it relates to the relationship you have with work. And so as a person who works, my comfort and how I'm feeling on a on a day-to-day basis is affected by a variety of things that have a lot to do with work and a variety of things that have absolutely nothing to do with work. And so honing in on how you know you can affect somebody's well-being i think is really important and actually very nuanced from an employer employee relationship standpoint and so looking at things like cultivating a space where people feel comfortable whether that space is virtual or that space is in person is super important creating environments for them to connect with their colleagues again whether virtual or in person and then really thinking about how you you cultivate that healthy forward outlook. You know, do I have a future here is a really critical question that people ask themselves when they think about their relationship with their employer. And so we talked about in the last podcast, professional development, career pathing, performance milestones, how performance is measured. And so from a employer standpoint, putting practices in place for those things are all contributors to uh, somebody's individual well-being. Yeah. We also shared that stat about the average person being stressed at work. And it's so interesting to think like we oftentimes forget that human beings at work are also dealing with all of these external factors that we really have no control over. And so it comes down to also working with your managers to help them understand like each person you're managing there's someone more than just an employee. They're also dealing with things in their outside life that might actually trickle into work. And a simple question like, how are you? is like so powerful, but I don't feel like people ever ask that in the workplace. I get on a meeting and everyone's like, okay, here are all the things we have to get done this week. Yeah, there's a formality to structured communication, especially in, in remote work that actually removes all of those personal affects that happen or used to happen um, while you were working in person. Something that we've done to kind of address that is to do like check-in questions before the meeting starts just to 
you know, depressurize everything before you like kick off into the agenda. Yeah. And so, you know, that, you know, we used to call it uh, like workplace banner chit chat, right? Like it's super helpful in just like normalizing you between meetings or normalizing you during the day. Yeah. And if you're in a hybrid environment, you're also communicating probably most of the time async on Slack and it's like, or Slack or Teams. I would never use Teams, but here we are. It's really hard to like ascertain the tone of somebody. And so even asking questions like, how are you feeling today? Let's use like red, yellow, green is really helpful. And the hard part is like, you can't determine that from someone's like slacks back. Although I did have a manager once who told me that I should use more exclamation points when I was happy because she always thought I was upset about something. I've received the same feedback actually. More exclamation points. More exclamation points makes you feel, seem more approachable. That's wild. Yeah. It's, um, it's a perception thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, more exclamation points. I've gotten uh, make your communication more personal. Uh, talk about how it's affecting you or affecting yourself, and it opens the space for others to do the same. Yeah, I think that's like a really hot tip for managers, honestly, like really tactical, like asking your team or getting in the habit of once a day, even asking like, how's everyone feeling today? Red, yellow, green can create like a really strong sense of psychological safety. On days where I'm not doing well, I like to use a scale of like one to 10 and I'll tell my team, hey, I'm like a three today. And I just make it okay for them to tell me that they're not having good days. And that builds like a strong sense of trust. And I also think like helps their well-being overall because they know I'm not expecting them to show up every day and be 10 out of 10. It's okay to be like a two or a three. And then I'm also able to say, hey, you're not having a good day. Maybe take the day off or here's a project that we can actually punt and do like at the tail end of the week when maybe you're feeling better. Yeah, I think you're you're hitting on a, on a point that I'd like to accentuate. I think about well-being as like stomach, head, heart, mm. and like you're hitting the heart, and those expressions of vulnerability, it creates the space for someone else to be vulnerable. Uh, it creates the space to have conversation. It creates the space to feel seen, and so, you know, again, very practical, right? Your expression of vulnerability as a leader, you know, encourages and builds trust with your employees. Joking about the the stomach one, but I'm I'm not right. Like the you're you're not you when you're hungry Snickers ad. <laughs> is the Love realist that. ad on television. <laughs> the best. Uh, and so are you actually like satisfying basic needs for folks, whether that's, again, in the office with food and beverage or something to that effect, or when they're at home, are you building in breaks so that people are not eating during meetings and not actually spending the time to decompress? And so that, that's actually, it, it, it does really have an effect on somebody's day. And then on the head side, like, is the way that we're working conducive to the most productive, highest order work. And so that is very much around the processes that you put in place, how you manage work, you know, the decision to be hybrid or remote, like those, those touch the head, right? So I think about it as stomach, head, heart, and that's kind of how you, you know, you can cultivate, cultivate a strategy around well-being. I love that stomach, head, heart, stomach, definitely factoring like guilt-free breaks putting 10 minute breaks on people's calendars throughout the day is like super powerful. So people aren't eating over their computer. I get food stuck in my keyboard all the time. But you brought up an interesting point about like the head and how we're all working. I've heard that hybrid work is the best for employee well-being. Do you agree? Not necessarily. Um, I think that when you choose a flex work model like hybrid, you introduce the challenges that you experience when you're all remote and you introduce the challenges you experience when you're in person and you just have them all at the same time. 
Um, the worst of both worlds. Yeah, you kind of get the worst of both worlds. You get some of the benefits of both worlds, but more importantly, you get all of the challenges of both. And so what do I mean? For the most successful companies, the most successful remote companies have a real dedication and commitment to workplace documentation. Hmm. Everything is written down because all work happens asynchronously. The best in-person companies encourage collaboration, serendipitous collisions, this kind of like in the moment iteration in real time. That's not necessarily conducive to a documentation forward culture. Yeah. And so in the how you work, you're mixing models and sometimes it could be peanut butter and jelly, sometimes it could be oil and water. It just it it yeah. depends. And so I think for a really effective hybrid working strategy you have to invest in different tools and make the commitment to make how you work a thing. Like it has to be something that somebody owns and it has to be practices that you consistently, uh, continuously improve. So when you talk about like, is it the best for well-being? I don't know is gonna be my answer. I think the benefit of not having a commute on certain days is great. I live an hour and a half from my office, and I know on the days when I don't go in, I'm a little more rejuvenated. But I also appreciate how much we can get done when it's tapping someone on the shoulder. It is really hard. I've, I've onboarded remotely twice, and it is, it's tough. Like connection and, and feeling like I belong somewhere and ability to get work done easily is harder. I just think the benefits of hybrid work like massively outweigh the cons. And so maybe I'm oversimplifying the issue where I'm like, oh, figuring out how to work together, so easy. Documentation, so easy. But everywhere I've worked, I've written the documentation on how we work together. I've Me, HR, has like done the work of like, here's what a working style is and here's how all of you work together. But I think there's a lot of work that could be done around that. I just think like we all got used to being at home and doing work at home that this shift back of people saying you must return to the office is like not going over well with a lot of people. I would separate out the how we work while we're hybrid, you know, remote or in person from in-office mandates. And the reason I would separate them out is some of the in-office mandates are a result of how you've been working. Mm -hmm. Others are not. There are many different kinds of incentives that drive an in-office mandate. And I don't want the idea that we need to actually build the working styles and build the how we work model, you know, to get lost in the if you don't do it, you're gonna go back to the office. Yeah. Kind of as as the negative. Because I think it actually needs to be done for folks who are office based and for folks who are a hundred percent remote. It just is just something that I think needs to time needs to be spent on it. The in-office mandates are not necessarily going well, and we've talked about this in the past, but the value exchange between employees and employers is askew, where employees want and feel entitled to certain things, employers want and feel entitled to certain things, and there's a delta between what those things are and how they're going to be manifested. And so it is the responsibility of all leaders to close that delta. And so an in-office mandate, a blind in-office mandate may grow the delta rather than close the delta. And so, you know, it's organization by organization. 
Uh, but that's why it's it's not it's not necessarily landing the way that people thought it would. I feel like there's so many diehards about this issue, like diehard hybrid, diehard in person, diehard remote, that like people have such strong feelings about this very topic, and it's like really influencing how they view their employers. I think it is really premature to have a view <laughs> for for a hundred years. We worked a certain way, yeah, and it was like it. Uh, I referenced uh, Ezra Klein on on the last pod. I'm just going to sound like an Ezra stand. Yeah. But a few months yeah. ago, he had a time scientist on, and the time scientist was. T- I'm sorry, a time scientist. Time scientist. What what is that into? Studies time. I'm in the wrong career. Definitely, but uh, he was talking about how the industrial revolution would have not been possible without the broad availability of clocks, because you couldn't synchronize people showing up at the same place at the same time until clocks were broadly available for everyone in the country. Yo, fuck clocks, man. Clocks. Clocks are ruined by life. Clocks created the working day. Clocks created nine to five. But without the broad availability of clocks, we would have had organized work. So when you talk about having a view, I think it's really premature because for a hundred years, we worked a certain way. And this global shared experience where we're all working a different way I think it's too early to say that's how we should work for the next hundred years Hmm. or it's too early to say we should go back to how we were working for the last hundred years. I think it's just really premature to be dedicated to a view right now. I don't know. I just really like working in my pajamas. I'm not going to lie. That's my hybrid stand mode. I'm actually, I'm fully remote. So as a chief people officer, I get to be fully remote for a company that's spread out across the U.S. And we have some people in New York, some people in um, Texas. But I get to be fully remote, and it's lovely. But I guess I'll have to see what happens in the next 95 years to determine if that's the way we should work. I don't think it's going to take that long. But it took this long for us to have a revolution. It is mind-boggling to me that we have been working 9 to 5 since the Industrial Revolution, and not until now was there the right time for us to revolutionize how we think about work getting done. When the average person is only productive for 3 to 4 hours a day, Yet we have eight-hour workdays. So what the hell am I doing the other four hours a day? Scrolling on TikTok? I just I, I can't believe it took us this long. It took us a global pandemic for us to like think maybe the way that we work is not the best way. The reason why I'm saying I don't think it's going to take that long is I do believe in human progress. I think the experience <laughs> in us having this moment is going to inform what we do. Yeah. What I'm saying is I think it's too premature to decide this is the way. And this is the way that everyone should operate. I actually think it's an organization by organization decision. Organizations are living beings, right? Like Mm. they have their own identities. And so I think it it, it will ultimately end up being a company by company decision and will land in a place where some companies are selecting to be entirely remote and some companies are selecting to be entirely in-person and that's okay. But it's coming back to that conversation we had in the first episode where I think there's, because of that, because each company is going to pick what works best for them, there's going to continue to be this push and pull power struggle between employees and employers. And I think like right now we're just like watching a pendulum swing back and forth where everyone is like, yay, pro remote work. And then employers employers are coming in and saying, no more remote work. Everyone must come to the office. And then they're witnessing the backlash from their employees where their employees are like, we're going to revolt. And then they change their stance on remote work. We've been watching it happen at Amazon, where Amazon said three days back in the office months ago, and employees were like, absolutely not, signing petitions, getting out there. 
And then they're still coming back and saying, okay, three days in the office. Okay, maybe we'll change our stance again. And so I still think we're watching this like power struggle, especially around hybrid work. But I think it's because a lot of people believe that that hybrid work actually is better for their well-being. I don't know if I ascribe to the fact that in-person work is anti-employee, right? And I think mm. I think there's a there's a underpinning that informs that tension that it is inherently anti-employee to to have in-person work. I, I don't agree with that. I think like there's a a level of consistency and expectation setting that has gone awry over the last year and a half. It, you know, there's a, a published video of Mark Zuckerberg saying remote work is the future and it's here to stay. And within the last month, Facebook has announced the return to office policy. And so I think this is evolving. And if your communication to your team is this is how we're going to work today and we're going to measure and we're going to see how it goes and we're going to make improvements as we go is a different message than this is what we're doing indefinitely. This and is then, the way. And, exactly. This is the way. <laughs> and then reneging later. Yeah. I, think, I think that's part of the problem. Okay. So we touched a little bit on employee well-being. I think we gave some tactical tips that could help people really destigmatizing people taking breaks really thinking about like how your manager shows up, how you as a manager show up for your team and check on their mental health and their well-being and fostering that psychological safety. Anything else that people should be considering when they're thinking about how should I think about well-being in a way that strengthens the relationship the employees have with the employer? I go back to agency. You as the employer have the the, the agency and, and quite frankly, the responsibility to cultivate a healthy well-being for the folks that work with you. The stomach, head, and heart point I, I would love to double down on. And then the idea that you know you can create a space for breaks and a space for people to rejuvenate during the workday. Those to me are the big, the big fish when you talk about improving well-being. Even just something like a 30-minute break every day at noon across your entire company calendar to give people the power to not eat over their laptops if they're a hybrid. I would love to not get food stuck in my laptop. That's my goal for 2023. Okay, so we talked a little bit about well-being. Let's talk a little bit about uh, recognition. Like what could employers be thinking about when it comes to recognition on how to foster a better relationship? So with that in mind, I'll just ask, have you received recognition in the last five days at work? No, but, but I also don't think the CEO should get recognition. You don't want to pat on the back for doing a good job? No. <laughs> wow, so unlike some of our CEOs out there. I think when you look at this, like coaches get recognized when they win. Mm. And so yeah. I don't think CEOs should get daily recognition. Yeah, but what about the average employee? What is a good amount of recognition to be giving your average employee? Well, before, when was the last time you got recognized? Um, okay, so I had a big week at work last week. So I got recognized last week. Um, but I would like to be recognized every day. Just a little pat on my back to say I'm doing a good job. Keep going. Okay. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's just me. But like it's, it's so simple to tell somebody like, hey, you're doing great work or good job on that thing that I know was so hard for someone. You're doing it really well. That just goes such a long way. Yeah, I think this is uh, – we talked a lot about managers last week. This is the, a key unlock for managers – what you're talking about is how you like to be recognized. Mm -hmm. And 
understanding that, understanding how your team likes to be coached is another critical aspect, but how you like to be recognized is really important in building and fostering a healthy relationship with your colleagues. And so a great manager understands the nuance of recognition and will recognize for different things. Should we also talk about recognition versus appreciation? I could do a quick call out real quick. So when I say recognition, recognition is like uh, being recognized for actual work you are doing, like work product, projects, achievements, milestones. Appreciation is oftentimes conflated with recognition. Appreciation is a simple thank you. That's the difference between recognition and appreciation. I think that's like one thing to note that people oftentimes mix up recognition and appreciation, but they're two different things. I would also say like there's nuance in recognition. Yes. Right? Yeah. Uh, and so I would say you acknowledge effort, you recognize their contributions, but you reward outcomes. Because if you, let's say, reward effort, you encourage hustle culture, mm -hmm. right? Like you're, you're saying, it's great that you were up at 3 a.m. getting that report done. And that's honestly not great for anyone. No. Um, and so, you know, having the maturity as a leader to know the difference in how you should be recognizing somebody, I think is super critical. The other thing is like when you talk about how you like to be recognized, uh, you mentioned the pat on the back mm -hmm. or, you know, you're doing a great job, keep going. That is direct one-to-one -one recognition. Some people love that. Some people prefer public recognition. Some people prefer anonymous recognition. And so you don't necessarily want to put somebody up on a stage to recognize them if that would give them anxiety, because then it's not going to be a moment that they reflect on with joy. It's going to be something that unfortunately is a negative memory. So you have to understand how somebody likes to be recognized. And you also need to understand the nuance in how you deliver recognition and for what. I tell every new manager, honestly, every manager should do this. Ask every single person on your team, how do you prefer to receive recognition? There are some people on your team that do not want to be publicly recognized. That's not important to them or just like they don't want that attention on them. That means when you want to recognize them, you have to do it in a one-on-one -on -one setting. It doesn't mean you don't do it at all which I think oftentimes managers are like, oh, you don't want to be like publicly praised. I, I'll just not do it at all. I'll opt out. Yeah. So imagine that in your organization, when somebody was promoted to a people leader, they started asking folks, how do you like to be coached? How do you like to be recognized? Mm -hmm. How do you like to be communicated with? And that automatically sets them up in a different way to lead people than not doing that, right? So we talk about like, how do you start training managers? It is it is not a, you can just get started. You don't have to wait until you have a formal management training built out. Yeah. Those three powerful questions. How do you prefer to receive recognition? How do you prefer to receive feedback? And what is your working style? I think kick off any great relationship between a manager and a managee. Is that a word? Did I just make that up? Okay, well, we're gonna move on. Um, that's a lot about recognition. I feel like we talked about it. Like, what are some interesting ways employers should be thinking about how they recognize their employees? So the reason I think you asked when the last time I was recognized or I asked you the, the last time you were recognized is something like less than 2% of employees receive daily recognition. And so, you know, in the last podcast, we referenced that your experience at work is one that whether consciously or, or subconsciously, you're cataloging daily. 
and it's affecting you daily. And so with 2% of employees getting daily recognition, I think it's a, it's a real challenge. So how do you create a culture of recognition? One is on the, the manager training. Two is having informal ways to recognize folks that are effectively um, like always on. And then you have more influential and more organization-wide recognition for outcomes. So traditionally, we've thought of those as milestone-based, mm-hmm. but I don't think they necessarily need to be milestone-based. I think they can capstone a really important product launch. They can capstone a really important piece of work where you have something more formal. But there's a always-on aspect of it and then kind of a capstone recognition moment that should be taking place in addition to daily recognition from your direct supervisor, which has the most material effect on your workday. So key takeaway, go tell somebody today that you recognize something great that they have done. Thousand percent. So I got to do, I got to go fire off a text real quick to someone on my team. Thank you for everything. Um, That's a really good point about recognition. I mean, and it leads us into our third thing that I think could really help employers have that agency over owning the employee experience is how they think about building and fostering community at work. I've started a job and known within a week that I will not last there past a year. I just couldn't find my people in that week. Everyone was so different from me or valued different things than me that it was honestly just like a values misalignment. And there was no sense of community. Like I couldn't find where I belonged in the org. And so I think more and more employers are thinking, how do I actually foster community at work? With all of these things, um, whether it's well-being, recognition, and community, there's there's formal things that an employer could do. There's also informal things that you can you can encourage. I think the the fact that you didn't find your people it left a bad taste in your mouth, and ultimately you left that organization. So the the way that I think about this is community or tribe is the most important thing because you're a collective of people. Effectively, a, a company is a collective, a collective of people trying to achieve a shared objective. And so if you don't feel unity with those folks, you won't achieve whatever the objective is, just plain and simple. And so, you know, from a employer standpoint, creating the space for folks to meet one another, foster healthy relationships, have those those moments outside of formal project-based work is super important. So I'm sure that week you had several onboarding meetings. You probably had a social, but it was all very formal and it was manicured in a way, you know, for an ideal onboarding. You can't see me do the quotation marks, but like an ideal onboarding and ultimately had the, a, a negative net effect, not a positive net effect. And so I think like what I would look at is, you know, what is that ideal, you know, formal onboarding? And then how do you create more informal moments for folks to to join an organization? And so that could be as, as simple as, you know, a secret buddy, right? Not, not necessarily like this is your buddy. You just have somebody with that person without it being broadcast, right? That that's going to be their buddy. And you just automatically feel like a sense of camaraderie, right? Somebody's looking out for me. That feeling that somebody's looking out for you is one of the most important feelings that you can have at work. Yeah. Everyone needs a work best friend. The Gallup survey has shown that like, if you have a best friend at work, you're more engaged. 
higher attention, more engaged, just generally happier in life and at work when you have a work best friend. Yeah, we all need someone to shit talk with. Exactly. But in HR, it's kind of hard because like we can't talk about the employees with other employees. So I think HR leaders across the board are just like really struggling with community, honestly. So that's that's something to keep in mind as you're thinking about like HR leaders are the people who are crafting this community experience, but also we're the ones that sometimes don't even have a community. And so a lot of times I think what ends up happening is community becomes an afterthought to us because we don't inherently have it. And so how are we going to build that experience for employees? Yeah. Or highly manufactured. Yeah. Right. We do in like really, here's, again, here's your buddy. Here's your little onboarding lunch. Like here are all the things you're going to do together. So we we throw events for companies as, as part of the the offering that we have. And, you know, there are events like build your own terrarium or sip and paint. And one of the most effective events we have is we throw an ice cream social and have people play Connect Four. I love that. And it's not the ice cream. It's the, oh, I'm just playing a random board game like Connect Four or playing Monopoly and I'm getting to know somebody in a different way. And this is one of our most popular, one of our most popular events. And it is like all we do is bring ice cream and board games. Wow. So it's really like the genuine authenticness of community that is what we as human beings actually want. Yeah, it's a real connection. There's also a lot of positive associations with with something like playing a board game. Not right? the ice cream? Not the ice cream. Too. <laughs> but there's a lot of positive associations with playing a board game, right? You have memories and kind of nostalgia and all, all the things that are at play that kind of put you in a space where you're open to making a friend. I hear all the time, like, how do I make a friend as an adult? Yeah, I don't know how. <laughs> there you go. Uh, ice cream and board games. I usually just like force my friendship with people. Of <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, how do you make a friend as an adult? Like, you actually have to be in a space where you're open to a new relationship. And so what, what the board games do is they actually just bring you down a notch, take you out of your work persona. Yeah. And bring you into something that's a little more childlike. And you're better, you're better able to make a friend. I love that. I didn't, I'm going to think about fostering community at work now is like, how do I help people lower the barrier and like be just themselves and build friendships? Friendship, friendship and camaraderie. It's interesting. Like the workplace best friend is actually usually fostered from like working on a project together mm -hmm. because you're in the trenches. Right? Yeah. Like, oh, I've been in the, in the trenches. Thick of it. Yeah. I'm in the thick of it. I've been in it with that person. We've built trust in a really like high intensity situation. Whereas, you know, those uh, those kind of, you know, more structured engagements are really for, you know, broad-based friendship. Yeah. What's one tip you would give a manager that in how they can help foster community even on their team? Because we, we know the manager impacts your day-to-day -day the most. So if you were to give managers one tip, what would it be? The biggest thing you could do is create the space for people to come out of their work persona and just, you know, connect with one another on a human level. And that could be something as simple as a coffee chat or an ice cream social with board games, or it could be something a little more formal where you're having a mindfulness session and folks get to express themselves. That to me is, is the most impactful thing that you can do, which is creating the space to be yourself. Yeah. I think because we, we're such in work mode sometimes, like professionalism, and we've like talked a lot about professionalism being this like somewhat unconscious bias construct where like 
professionalism is viewed as being a certain thing. And then we try to push everybody into that. And I think we're just so used to that, that when we get to be ourselves at work, it's like so freeing, but also in the back of your mind, you're like, oh my God, am I allowed to do this? Yeah. I'm, I'm saying we have a work persona because yeah. we all do. Yeah. Right. Like maybe not me. Definitely not you, <laughs> but everyone else has a work persona and that persona has guardrails and things you're comfortable with and things you're not comfortable with. So being able to express yourself and be yourself at work, that's when you really know you're working somewhere special. Or I think like as a manager, just even creating the space for you to talk about something that's not work is also really powerful. I have someone on my team who loves Taylor Swift. We talk about Taylor Swift. It's just a thing we do. And I think it like makes our friendship and our relationship even better because I've given her the space to tell me the things she's passionate about. And then I want to actually hear from her about it. And so there's moments where we're doing work and we're very clearly in work mode. And there are other moments where it's very clearly just her and I having a chat. And I think more managers that can take away like every meeting being about work and more meetings that are just about like getting to know each other is really powerful. And then you slowly build that community on your team. Hopefully it extends outside your team and then broader at the org as well. Completely agree. Cool. So we've touched on three things that really we think can help employers manage and build strong relationships with their employees, well-being, recognition, and community. Um, I want to wrap this episode just one question for Dave. What are you doing at Newsstand to foster these three things? We're doing a lot, actually. And this is, to me, like you use your own products on yourself. It makes you better. It makes the ser services that you provide to customers better. You're the super user. Exactly. We talked a lot about hybrid work, and we're on a two-day in-office, three-day remote um, schedule. And we actually introduced quarterly offsites over the last few quarters where we get together to have conversation, build connection. The offsites, ha we, throw our, we throw our own events for ourselves at our offsites. Ice cream and board games. Uh, <laughs> last time we uh, made truffles. Wow. But we throw our own events for ourselves. And it's a mixture of, you know, conversation about work, conversation about being a team. In our last one, we also did the Everest case study. I don't know if you've ever done the Everest case study. I've heard about this. So we did the Everest case study with everyone in the company. And so we use the offsite as both a retro and a kickoff for the next quarter. Yeah. And, you know, we, as mentioned, we throw on events, we give ourselves our own corporate gifts. And people love them. And we use our own app to communicate what's happening at the event. So for our customers, you know, the stomach, head, and heart is really what we're trying to help them with. Everything from gourmet and the best snacks you've ever had in your office to really great live events that are both in-person and virtual that help you create those moments for folks to turn off their work persona and connect better with one another. And then subscription gifting for their remote employees. So our gifting program actually lets you send a little bit of your culture to your employee that may be in a satellite office or may be working remotely. And so ultimately it creates an environment for connection wherever you are. We're seeing really great response and it's something that we're really excited about. I love that like stomach, heart and head model. It's so cool. I'm gonna think about everything I build now through that lens because it's so true. I want snacks. We're all just humans at work. Yeah, we're all just trying to eat snacks. Just kidding, just me. 
I bring a lot of snacks with me everywhere I go because I get hungry easily. So here we are. Um, no, I think what you're doing at Newsstand is, is really interesting and unique, honestly. And it's it's elevating the employee experience in a way that I don't think a lot of us have had the time in HR to really think about. We're constantly like in the thick of like employee experience and we don't stop and pull up and think, what are pillars that we could just focus on? How can we make this experience even better? And so what you're offering on Newsstand is just really unique and I love everything you're doing. Thank you. Also, thank you for being here today. Yeah, that's, that's a wrap. Thanks, Dave, for coming today. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. Keep up with all the latest HR resources by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. And if you love I Hate It Here, tell an HR friend. I'll see you next time.